Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have uh, Shingo Kajimura. He's at Harvard Medical School. Uh, He's part of the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in the Division of Endocrinology, Diabetes, and Metabolism. And he's working on an interesting aspect of uh, what's called brown fat in people and how it relates to diabetes and other metabolic uh, conditions. So, Shingo, thank you. Thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, if you would tell me about your research then. Yes. So we are interested in the molecular basis by which how we adapt to different environment, like we call environmental stress. For example, nutritional changes, like dietary changes, or a temperature, a like cold or warm, so temperature changes, and how we adapt right, at the cellular or molecular level. And then one of the particular interests is fat uh, metabolism, how fat adapts to new environment. Part of the reason is that fat is a very exciting, sort of very dynamic organ, as opposed to the people conventionally notice that with fat is just as energy storage. That's not really mm-hmm. true. Fat dynamically adapt to different environment. And one of the stress that we're interested in is cold temperature difference. One of the unique fat cells that we have, mammals, humans have, is called brown fat. Brown fat is a unique fat cells that can make heat by using or dissipating energy in the form of heat. Yeah, tell me a bit about brown fat. Like, where is it located in the body typically? And then we'll get into its metabolic action. Okay, so in humans, adult humans, we have in, uh, brown fat in called supraclavicular regions nearby the neck. This is actually the most efficient location to warm up blood into the brain. Because the, is it around the carotid arteries? Is that yeah. why? It's artery, so that it's a very almost like a scarf in the sense that you know the the, the reason why you put scarf on and when you feel cold is the first of all to prevent heat loss, but also warm up blood into the brain, right? So that we sort of tricking brain say that maybe we feel warm in the blood, but it doesn't make your body warm, right? And then so, sort of the brown fat is similar in the sense that we're a very efficient location to warm up blood into the brain. We have a lot of brown fat in a unique, different location for interscapular region. A region, this is similar to more like mice or small mammals. And then babies, we maybe we should go back to the why we need brown fat. Let me start with that one. So when you expose to cold temperature, two things happens. One is the first response is that we shiver muscle to make heat. Right. It's almost like exercise. You feel warm. Same theory that you we uh, actively shiver skeletal muscle to make heat. However, we can't keep shivering for more than thirty minutes because lactate accumulates in the body. It's almost like you run hundred meter sprint. So the, the second response is called non-shivering thermogenesis, which is that essentially you can make heat without sh- shivering muscle. 
that's actually this non-shivering thermogenesis is mostly mediated by brown fat. So brown fat thermogenesis is used to be called non-shivering thermogenesis. And that's okay. really important in babies, infants, because the infants don't have enough muscle to shiver. They can't even hold their neck when you're born. So, so babies, infants have a lot of brown fat in interscapular regions. However, around the time that they're ready to walk, that they develop enough muscle to shiver, this interscapular brown fat disappears in adult humans. And it's been long thought for last maybe 200 plus years that adult humans don't have brown fat. So it was a sort of dogma out there. But around maybe 2009, around 10 plus years ago, a couple of independent researchers in the world discovered that actually adult humans have a lot of brown fat in the supraclavicular regions nearby the artery. And that was very the big surprise to the field. And then sort of transform our understanding as to how we adapt to cold and how this affects systemic energy balance, including glucose handling, lipid handling, so with implication type 2 diabetes. Very interesting. So is that the only place in adults where brown fat is located? And, you know, how does it vary amongst ethnicities and gender and age? Yes, um, it's a great point. It's more we so it's for the last 10 years or so, a lot of technical advancement as to how we detect brown fat in adult humans and much higher resolution, high detection limit. And we, we actually have way more brown fat than initially thought in 10 years ago. We initially thought that a brown fat only locates in the supraclavicular regions, but it's not that there we have more in. Paraspinal nearby the spinal cord, and some in the belly fat and and in the subcutaneous regions. So original estimate was around maybe sixty gram in on average in healthy humans, but probably we have three to uh, three times more, even higher. So obviously we underestimated the amounts of brown fat, and so which is a very exciting news nowadays. The genetic influence is another excitement. It's been suggested that, for example, Caucasians or more the people who live in the north have tend to have more as opposed to, or as relative to those who live in the tropical area. For example, Pacific Islanders have much less appears that. There's an interesting study in Netherlands comparing people who come from you know, some Caucasian background as opposed to South Indian origin. There appear to be a lot of South Indian aspect of research is still going. However, this is originally identified in you know, some animal studies. And then, by the way, the brown fat field was very active in, in more like evolutional standpoint. For example, bear or squirrels, like the hibernating animals, have a lot of brown fat. And then, but it's probably true in adult humans. What about people that? Has there been any experimentation where you have someone that lives in a warm area for years and they move to a cold area, you know, for a year or two? Do they grow brown fat? Yes. Or once they, it's gone, it's gone? Yeah, so it's a great question. We have some genetic influence, but we have also have capacity to regain or adjust the amount of brown fat. For example, cold acclimation, chronic cold acclimation stimulates the formation of new brown fat. 
And then there are studies showing that about 10 days of cold acclimation, which is about two cold, exposed to cold temperature, in this case, 19 degrees Celsius. It's not that cold for two hours, every up to 10 days, appear to be sufficient enough to regain or gain more new thermogenic brown fat. So, and then this is associated with improvement in, in, in lipid handling and glucose handling as well. Oh, why, why do you think that would be? Well, brown fat is a, a significant sink, metabolic sink for glucose and fat. As I mentioned earlier, brown fat use has tremendous capacity to burn energy and produce heat. Therefore, this become a sink, metabolic sink, right? So if you're exposed to cold or cold stress, right, brown fat actively uptake glucose and, and fatty acid as well and combust it inside the cells. So if you have more brown fat, obviously you, you have improved glucose metabolism at the systemic level. Well, what creates this cell type? Is it created de novo by a certain organ that it migrates there, or does regular fat turn into brown fat? Great question. I think upon, let's say, thermogenic demand, two things happen. One is that, as I said, as you said, de novo biogenesis of brown fat. So the stem cell existing in, in then these cells become or differentiate into brown deposites. The second thing is that there's a conversion from energy storing white fat into brown fat. And this is a more direct conversion. And those two things happens during the cold adaptation. And then, so that's why the brown fat, you can regain active brown fat by cold adaptation. Okay. But so again, is so it is made brand new or, you know, de novo again by by what, what type of cells are where in the body, or do we know? So in, in subcutaneous adipose tissue, which have a lot, there's sort of progenitor cells or stem cells exist there, and these cells have a capability to differentiate into thermogenic brown fat. And this occurs, this triggered by thermogenic stimuli, cold acclimation or uh, energetic receptor signaling. And then some hormones like FGF21 does this, Bariatric surgery, many of you know this, the uh, metabolic surgery, also it's known to trigger this, uh, the formation of thermogenic, de novo thermogenic fat formation. And anti-diabetic medication, the TZDs, also have action to promote thermogenic fat as well. I guess if you take cold showers, maybe, you know, yeah. if you could stand it or cold baths for uh, 10 days, maybe you'd increase your brown fat too. It is actually, that's a very interesting idea. And it's been true that a cold adaptation stimulate, like cold shower, may be efficient. There are a couple of downsides. First of all, it's not comfortable to keep you cold. Second, <laughs> more significant issues that the cardiovascular risk. The cold is bad for your heart because blood pressure goes up, right? Basal constriction stimulate blood pressure. So that's why if you are healthy, with no cardiovascular risk, cold exposure or cold shower will be very, very beneficial. However, if you have any cardiovascular risk, or which is common in obese people or aged population, cold adaptation, cold uh, shower may not be recommended. So therefore, oh, okay. yeah, our, you know, we are interested in the idea of a cold mimetics, 
that is that can we come up with the biochemical pathways that trigger downstream of cold signaling? Now, in other words, can we come up with the idea that can we make fat cell feel cold without your brain don't think so? So how powerful is brown fat on a gram by gram basis? You know, if it exists, like if, if you look at a person's uh, amount of brown fat, I mean, first of all, can you calculate it, how much they have? You know, how do you do that? Yeah, so the, the one way that's commonly used in adult humans is called FDG PET scan. It's a measurement of glucose uptake into well, metabolically active tissues, and this is often, often used in cancer detection. And then uh, humans have uh, FDG PET scan can detect glucose uptake in adult humans. We have estimate is about 63 gram in adult humans. And as I mentioned earlier, probably we have way more, maybe three times or even higher amounts of brown fat than originally estimated. And then there are a lot of many independent research shows that if you have more brown fat or higher prevalence of brown fat, which is negatively associated with metabolic disease. Originally, we thought the brown fat is just for making heat and make you maybe high, keep your energy expenditure higher, but that's not the whole story. More brown fat has, is more protective against type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, fatty, fatty uh, liver disease, and hepatic steatosis, so it's a, I think that the impact of brown fat in humans in particular is about metabolic health improvement. Well, what happens as someone uh, gains weight, all else being equal? Do they, you know, they'll have more of the regular adipose tissue, more regular fat. Does that displace the brown? Does that downregulate its continued production? Like what happens? Yeah, so the estimate of as to how much brown fat can burn energy in a day is about 200 kilocalories per day, which is about, let's say, less than 10% around 10% of your whole body energy expenditure. Humans use probably 2,000 kilocalories plus minus, right? Depends on your muscle mass and age and gender. So obviously, if you eat extra piece of bread or if increased food intake is uh, cannot really be countered by the brown fat. So, um, but having active brown fat which probably can make you, how do you say, keep your energy expenditure higher. And the estimate of the body weight is that if you burn energy by 10% or more, which is sufficient enough to keep you lean, and in that sense, probably 10% of energy expenditure by uh, brown fat is, I think, sufficient enough to make an impact on whole body metabolism. Oh, okay. So you're saying about 200, uh, what, 200 calories a day? Yes. Oh, okay. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. So I guess more of its function is in the strategic location near the carotid arteries. So when when someone experiences cold, what do the does the brown fat directly generate? It, it engages a thermogenesis and that dumps right into the carotid arteries. Like what? How does it work to warm someone up? When you experience cold, what happens is that norepinephrine, which is released from catecholamines, right, released from the sympathetic nerve terminus, which is a release those uh, the catecholamine like uh, neurotransmitters, and then this binds to brown fat receptor, beta receptor, beta nergic receptor in the brown fat, and this triggers 
intercellular signaling, and that uh, cyclic TMP signaling, this triggers thermogenic program. And therefore, it, it doesn't, it's not, it's not like the cold is sensed by the cells directly. It still needs hormone that mediates the sensing. And then and this triggers, it's called mitochondrial uncoupling. And in this actually, the analogy is that it's almost like a light bulb make heat in the sense that mitochondria is so inefficient that you combust a lot of energy and that a part of the energy is converted to heat. And this is a heat source. And then this heat is normally delivered through the blood circulation. Normally, as I said, brown fat is often right next to the uh, artery or blood vessels. And those are that the, the heat is delivered to the neighboring tissues by a, the circulation. Huh. What, uh, how much thermogenesis can brown fat achieve? Like, I don't know how you rate it, but, you know, what is someone's heat needs based on, let's say, ambient temperature? Mm-hmm. And what percentage of that heat need can be accomplished by the thermogenesis of brown fat? So you might have to, by the temperature... I, you know, that really depends on the body size, right? So, but as I said earlier, the, the estimate of the adult humans is about 200 kilocalories per day upon cold exposure. And then we, that's about 10% of your whole body energy expenditure. And then in the whole year calculation is that about 10% energy expenditure, 200 kilocalories per day is equivalent to a 10 pound or four kilogram of white fat per year. Okay. So, and is this, is this range held in all kinds of people? Like if you look at Eskimos, for instance, yes. you know, the Inuit people, do they have still about the same amount of brown fat or do they have a lot more? The cold, uh, people who live in the cold tend to have more uh, brown fat. So the two, maybe three factors that really influence the amount of brown fat. One is the logistics, right? People living in the north tend to have more as opposed to people who live in the tropical area. Second is the aging. Age is an important factor. People who are living with the 20 years old or younger, they tend to have much higher prevalence of brown fat. There's a dramatic drop around 40 to 50s. And then after 50s, many people lose brown fat, very little. So the aging is a huge negative impact on brown fat. We don't know exactly why we lose brown fat in aging, but which is an interesting observation because around that time, many people develop called age-associated obesity. There's speculation that maybe this is partly due to loss of brown fat. Third is a season. Season is another important factor that obviously cold winter, uh, we gain brown fat and in the summer we lose it or we have much less activity uh, in, in, in the summer. I guess this is why snowbirds exist. You get older, you don't like the cold and you want to move to a warmer climate because you, I guess, literally can't tolerate the cold as well. That's true. Well, in aging, not necessarily that only the brown fat, but also we lose muscle mass as well, right? So the um, muscle is another important part of heat source by muscle shivering. So by losing muscle oh. as well as brown fat, and an energy expenditure goes down in aging. So aging, age-associated obesity is an interesting phenomenon that most people don't, um, the food intake remains more or less the same. 
but energy expenditure goes down. As a result, we tend to gain about like 10 pounds. Um, in well, it, it makes sense if you think about it. The body wants to preserve itself. Mm-hmm. It loses the backstop of the brown fat and it loses muscle for shivering. So now it has to find other ways to maintain homeostasis. So probably it's like, all right, well, we'll have to get regular fat and that'll help us out. So then it's maybe that's why you be, you know you start to gain weight because it needs some kind of fat to that's keep right. us going, you know? That's right. So, and then now the question is, can we uh, use brown fat as a way to combat age and social obesity? It's an interesting, exciting question. Huh. So what do you think of the, I don't know, the limits of, uh, of brown fat? Like, <clears throat> you know, it's thermogenic, not to an appreciable degree, but you said about 10%. What kind of signaling do you think happens between the balance of brown and white fat? You know, if there's more of it or less of it, is there uh, you know, if you look at like the hormone profile, I know it's not the only factor, but of people with more brown fat versus less, is there anything that correlates, you know, where, where it tells you like the brown fat is, is doing some important signaling in the body that is now missing when it dissipates? Mm-hmm. It's interesting. So brown fat was originally thought to be a pure heat source. But that's not the whole story. Clearly, brown fat has more function, more than making heat, one of which is to secrete some of the hormones. For example, if uh, brown fat secretes FGF21, which is a very important hormone that uh, stimulates energy metabolism and also improves glucose homeostasis. There are some hormones that regulate lipid metabolism. So that, and then, and then also uh, brown fat secretes vascular stimulating hormone as well. So these are sort of up and coming research here. And the well-known relationship between brown fat and white fat is that, okay, upon cold exposure, norepinephrine stimulates lipolysis, which is essentially converting a triglyceride to fatty acids, but induce lipolysis, right? So the white fat break down lipid and produce fatty acid. That fatty acid is important fuel source for brown fat to make heat. So if brown fat uptake those fatty acid, which is released from white fat, and it combust in the mitochondria and it make heat. Conversely though, again, brown fat also release some of the signaling, lipid signaling, as well as FGF21 or vascular releasing hormones to regulate fat metabolism as well. So there's a, a interesting relationship between the two. One of the really the interesting phenomenon is that uh, during the chronic adaptation, those white adipocyte within white adipose tissue, pockets of thermogenic fat emerge. And it's called, be, it's been traditionally known as a browning of white fat. And then, uh, so the idea is can we really un- understand the molecular signaling of the browning that occurs in the cold adaptation and can we if so can we recapitulate that phenomenon by defined factors without cold stimulus that's uh, new research well very good a lot of you know a lot more research to be done just last question or two so i don't know if you've looked at people with diabetes but what's the dynamic of brown fat when someone gets diabetes and progresses through it is it already gone by that time or you know what happens Yes, type 2 diabetes in particular is associated with inflammation and then also it's very common in obese population. Those people tend to have much less amounts of brown fat. And then the interesting thing is that when you stimulate the formation of brown fat, 
the inflammation is somehow much alleviated. We still don't know what's the molecular mechanism for this, but so, and so the type two diabetes or obesity negatively impacts the amounts of brown fat. But if you force the formation of brown fat, which has beneficial uh, effects, alleviating inflammation, and also glucose handling is also improved. There are some interesting studies going on that maybe insulin sensitivity in the skeletal muscle and also in the liver is improved if you have more brown fat. But the, what mediates the insulin sensitizing activity is, is still um, unclear. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Shingo, what's the best way for people to find out more about your work? Where can they go? Lab home webpage is available, and we publish a lot of scientific papers. So if you want to know more about the details, then we, we're happy to send you papers, or we can search in, in PubMed or Google uh, uh, Scholar. I think you can read many of the papers that we publish from our lab, as well as people publish from the in field. Okay. Well, very good. Oh, one last thing that comes to mind is even though you said brown fat accounts for, let's say, 10% of your energy expenditure, you know, if someone is, you know, in a calorie deficit, they may not feel it, feel it nearly as intensively if they have brown fat that makes up maybe for part of the deficit. But if they don't, then any deficit would probably feel uncomfortable to them. So it may be, you know, again, a bit of padding when, you know, food runs low that the, the organism, you know, the person is able to continue without like perception of as much hunger. Right. Just a thought that crossed my mind. It's interesting. You said that the, normally like if you restrict food, like fasting, really negatively impacts thermogenesis. But evolution makes sense, right? If you're under nutritional deficit, body tried to prevent that, that further dissipation of energy by brown fat. So the, there's a counteractivity. So let's say examples, if you fast animals in, and then put mouse or let's say animals into cold, normally they develop severe hypothermia. The body temperature goes down. So um, and you need uh, to eat well to make heat. Mm. Okay. Well, very good. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been really interesting. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.